When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you looking for the perfect gift for the book lovers in your life this holiday season? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations as diverse and interesting as readers are. Choose from plans that allow your loved ones to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or a year-long subscription. And sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine. So when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today and give the bookish folks in your life a personalized bookish experience they can enjoy without leaving their home. That's mytbr.co slash gift or click the link in our show notes. And welcome back to When in Romance, a great place to talk about, listen to, and learn about, and read about, and all of that stuff. Romance novels and the people who write them, and the people who read them. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And I appreciate that intro, Jess, although I feel like we just put together a very nice When in Romance trailer, and <laughs> maybe if people are looking for more information, that that would be a good place for them to go when they're when they're thinking about this show. But for this specific episode, I will I will let you share some details. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think my early evening black mint tea is uh, kicking in and my brain is going a little haywire. But anyway, it is episode 70 that we're recording now on Thursday, October 29th, 2020. It's still 2020, you guys. and i will also as much as i i tease you i we do not acknowledge enough that we record this show at what is 9 p.m or so my time 6 p.m your time and you are generous enough to record before you've eaten dinner generally and you have never in the history of all 70 episodes shown up hangry (laughs) for any of these so i am astonished at how articulate you are before dinner frankly well I appreciate that. I did scarf down a couple giant marshmallows before (laughs) logging on. Perfect choice. Perfect choice. I I guess there's like just enough time before the hanger kicks in because I can become a pretty hangry person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we should probably get to it before that happens. Uh, (laughs) Although again, in 70 episodes, I've never seen or heard it. So I am not quite in belief, but I will do a quick reminder to folks. We are doing our holiday rec show coming soon. I think we're recording it. Actually, we might be recording it in two weeks. So please send your recommendation requests to us uh, ASAP. Uh, you can email us at whenandromance at bookriot.com. If we get enough requests, we can do a second show, but we definitely will be doing one on the 
I believe it will be coming out the 16th of November. So we'll be recording. Oh boy, math is hard. Uh, Is that like the 13th of November or so? I think it's the 12th because I believe Veterans Day is that Wednesday. Excellent reminder. So we'll be recording the 12th of November. So please send in any recommendation requests for you, your family, your loved ones, your friends, strangers who you've never talked to. I have to tell you, Jess, one of my favorite things of 2020 is that a couple of my friends who have never been romance readers, apparently all they needed was for the entire world to fall apart because they are tearing through romance at this point like they have never before. One of them just read The Right Swipe and then read Girl Gone Viral, both by Alicia Rai, then read Get a Life, Chloe Brown, then read Take a Hint, Danny Brown, then read Mating the Huntress, all by Talia Hibbert. And that has all happened in like the last month. So That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, granted, it would be better if the world wasn't just a mess, but silver lining, I guess. I guess. I yeah. guess. We'll take what we can get. <laughs> that, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So please do send us your rec- or your requests, your rec requests. And that is uh, at wheninromance at bookriot.com. So before we get into the fact that it is still 2020, and in fact, we still have uh, some things to work through for the rest of the year, do you want to pause and do an ad spot? Absolutely. Thank you to Tiffany DiBartolo and Woodhall Press for sponsoring this episode. And uh, Tiffany DiBartolo's newest book is Sorrow. Sorrow is a poignant story about friendship, love, art, and music, and how these pursuits can save us from ourselves. Joe Harper has backpedaled through his life, a once-promising guitar prodigy. He's been living without direction since abandoning his musical dreams. But Joe finds an unlikely path to redemption when he starts working for the bohemian conceptual artist October Dongo. As Joe's relationship with October develops, he yearns to move forward, but struggles to escape his past. Sorrow explores masculinity and suspended adolescence, all the while asking, can courage be learned, and is it ever too late to follow your heart? So thanks again to Woodhall Press and Tiffany DeBartolo for sponsoring this episode. Thanks to them. And, you know, as you mentioned, Jess, in the intro to this episode, although you are hearing it in the first week of November, we are still in the last week of October. And something sort of interesting has started to happen, despite the fact that we still have a full sixth of this year left (laughs) to happen. And that is, we have started to see best of 2020 book lists come out. We have. I think uh, we saw Publishers Weekly this week, the Goodreads Reader's Choice Awards, which is sort of a, a best of for Goodreads, has premiered. I don't know that I've seen other ones yet, Jess, but they've got to be coming, right? Yeah, this is is about the time that we usually see them. And this year has been weird because there seem to be like, not just like the monthly columns that we're used to seeing that are like the best books to read this month, but there seem to be like best books for spring, best books for summer, best books for fall. So I've sort of lost track of anything as far as the actual like end of year best of books lists but the big one was publishers weekly and of course the goodreads readers choice awards which come from two very different uh groups of people (laughs) so yeah and that's you know part of the reason that we wanted to talk a little bit about this is that i will confess i didn't think a lot about these lists and where they came from and what they were for until i started writing for Book Riot. And as you pointed out, 
the, those two uh, that are most definitely out now are from two different sources. So my understanding is that Publishers Weekly, like a lot of these kind of press organizations, right, uh, you know, we'll probably see them from – I know you'll see it from the Washington Post. You'll see the New York Times. You'll see all of these different media outlets putting their lists out. And my understanding is that much like Publishers Weekly, a lot of those come from editorial staff and book writers and people who are on the staff of these publications. Is that your sense kind of as well, Jess? That is the sense that I get. I will be transparent and say that once upon a time, I did review for Kirkus Books. And I feel like I remember being asked towards the end of August, probably, if there were any books that had come out during the year that I would recommend for a best of the year list. So I imagine that a lot of these kind of editorial sites work in a similar way. But I can't say that that is, in fact, the truth from my knowledge. But it does seem like that, that that's, that's how they work. Well, and I think it's not as bonkers as it seems, right, for a best of list to be coming out in October, because my initial reaction, you know, if I see a list of best albums of the year or best movies of the year is always like, okay, but what about anything that comes out in November and December? Mm -hmm. Now, for what it's worth, a lot of the people who are putting these lists together have advanced copies of these books or in the cases of albums or movies, they have screeners of the movies or or advanced copies of the albums. Mm -hmm. They're also... This is less true, I think, in romance than maybe literary fiction or nonfiction, but there's not a lot that comes out in December in particular. Yeah. And so it is not outside the realm of possibility that the people who are working on these kinds of lists have access at this point to everything that would make the list that will come out in 2020, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting advanced copies for books coming out in May. So there's definitely that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although, like, we have to talk about how traditional focused these lists can be because of that. Like, yeah, I'm getting books, advanced copies of books that are coming out in the middle of next year. But there are authors that are amazing authors. They just happen to be independent authors who might not tell you that they're putting out a book until the day it shows up. So that's two months of indie books that we might not get to add to the list. And, you know, what if, heaven forbid, Courtney Milan drops something on December 21st? That can't be added to either year's list, but it's probably going to be one of the best books of the year. I am throwing out extreme conjecture. Please don't expect that to happen. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, we can all we can all dream big dreams here in 2020. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, and I think I think that's a great point. I also think you're making a really good point in when we talk about where these books come from. I think the first part of the story is that they do tend to come from editorial staff. We can talk a little bit about the Goodreads Choice Awards in a minute, but it is important to remember that as we've talked about in the past, some books just get more marketing money than other books. That's just the reality of the situation. I think we are seeing in romance a couple of sort of interesting trends. One of the things that we talked a little bit about on the Slack channel the other day is that of the romance books, I think both, well, actually, that's not true. I was going to say, I think both the Publishers Weekly list and also the Goodreads list, and that is inaccurate. So we'll just say on the Goodreads list, there does not seem to be a mass market paperback. These seem to all be trade paperbacks, which we've talked about in the past. A trade paperback is the larger paperback version. Uh, The mass market is the one 
that I think some of us traditionally have seen, you know, in a grocery store, or it's that kind of size, you know, the smaller kind of pocket size book. Mm-hmm. That's that's a shift. I think also one of the things that we've seen shift a little bit, and I'd have to look a little more closely, but in the past, and I think even most of the time still, you don't see a lot of self-published or independently published titles on mm-hmm. these lists. That's just kind of independently published titles, like Jess was talking about, you know, if Courtney Milan drops a book, or even if, you know, she put out an excellent book, what, like last month, mm-hmm. and it doesn't get picked up because there's not, you know, the Berkeley or the Kensington or whatever else kind of marketing machine behind it, which is, I think, important to keep in mind. Absolutely. And not only are, at least in the Goodre- case of Goodreads, are there no mass markets. The one historical romance is a trade with a an illustrated cover. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like a huge shift. And it's just so interesting to see, especially with the Goodreads Awards, because I don't actually know what version of the algorithm is used. I don't recall if it's books that are on people's want to read shelf or people or actual rating variations. <laughs> so I checked into it. Yeah, a little bit before we recorded and all I could find was a sentence that said Goodreads analyzed the statistics from the hundreds of millions of books added rated and reviewed on the site to select 15 worthy nominees in 20 categories. Mm. So it's it's not especially transparent. Although the one thing that I think credit where it's due Goodreads does is that write-in votes are accepted during the opening round. Mm -hmm. So as we are recording this, that opening round is still open. If I'm remembering from the history of my dealings with this, oftentimes that first round is very short. So it is possible that by the time you're hearing this, that first round, that opening round will have closed. Um, But we will still link in the show notes and you can go and, and, you know, vote as you see fit. But I think one of the questions... That we we maybe don't think and talk about enough, Jess, is like, what what are these lists for? Why? Why are these lists? And honestly, the only answer I can come up with is the fact that we as humans really like to tally up our favorites of the year. <laughs> it's like a close a closure of the time, which, you know, is weird happening at the end of October. But unless they're used as a publicity vehicle as, you know, that final push for people who are looking for some random thing to buy someone they know who likes books at the end of the year for the winter holidays. Like, I actually have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, I think you have the exact idea, right? I think people like them. I think people click on them. And I will say, you know, in it is no secret that Book Riot publishes these lists. We will have our best of 2020 list coming out within, I'm sure, the next few weeks or month. Actually, I'm not on the editorial team. I don't know when, but it will be coming out. Be excited. Watch for it. Well, I'm sure talk about it. Um, We do a best of 2020 so far list or a best of whatever year so far. And it's, I mean, I think it's fun and like sort of satisfying to be able to say to people, oh, you might have missed this list. And one of the things, again, obviously, we are a Book Riot podcast, so I am biased. But one of the things that I think is great about the Book Riot list, and something else too, to be fair, like the NPR Book Concierge, or some of these other lists is that you can reliably get expertise about a number of genres. 
So even if you are a person that doesn't read a lot of sci-fi or doesn't read a lot of thrillers, you know that the people who are putting that list together do. And I don't know. I think that's kind of fun. That is totally fun. And, you know, the fact that there are so many romance readers in the Book Riot community who have been talking about their favorite books this year. And speaking of favorite, like, there is also that question of favorite versus best Mm -hmm. that doesn't really get conveyed in these kinds of lists. Absolutely true. And it's hard to really like balance that out personally when I'm looking at these lists and it's like, okay, that might have been the most successfully crafted book, but was it the best book? It wasn't my favorite book, but it was really good. Or, you know, the writing was a little loose and could have been tightened up, but it was my absolute favorite. Like where how do how do we figure that out? But I read it when I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me feel better all the time. So mm-hmm. So how do you yeah, what is the metric of that? Yeah. What is the metric of like what book is perhaps the most successfully plotted or has the most intricate character development versus the book that just really made me happy and I have now read three times. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, maybe maybe next year when we talk about best of lists, we'll have that figured out. Who's to say? Who's to say? But the one last question that I have for you before we, we wrap this up and, and let folks start to critically think about the best of lists is, do you think these lists are helpful for authors? I think they are. And, uh, you know, as from a romance perspective, in particular, because these kinds of lists are seen by people who don't read in every genre, they might be exposed to something and bring someone to their writing that might not have. And then, of course, good publicity is always good for authors, because that means more eyes are being drawn to them. And... You know, we want them to be successful in every nature. So I definitely think that these lists are good for authors that are on them. Yeah, and- I was going to say, though, on the whole, <laughs> if if people like Christina C. Jones, who we've talked about, or Courtney Milan, or some of these other authors who, you know, may well end up, right? We were talking about Talia Hibbert in this context two or three years, 68 mm-hmm. episodes ago. And now she is on these lists. So so maybe, you know, folks get the attention eventually. Mm-hmm. But she had to publish traditionally to make it onto those lists. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. And maybe it's a question that there's no answer for, especially at, you know, 6.30 slash 9.30 on a Thursday in October before an election. But I do think it's, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that's worth – I think there is a service to readers. I think there's absolutely a service to publishers. Mm-hmm. But I, I do sometimes wonder, on the whole, for authors, whether these lists are, are helpful or not. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. If you are an author and you have thoughts, let us know. Because we'd love to know what you think about the whole concept of the best of lists. And especially if you happen to know you're one of our favorite authors. Oh, yeah. Or honestly, yeah, either way, right? Like, no matter where you fall. Because I'm still trying to balance that whole concept of best versus favorite and where they mesh. Because obviously, there are definitely some who are going to be like, all of all of the stars. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, all of the stars. That um, whole lack of food thing is starting to kick in. If you guys, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're crushing it. And the good news is Sunday is daylight savings time, so we'll be able to adjust the timing of our show perhaps a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, even if you're a reader or um, somebody who thinks about this stuff and let us know how these lists are for you. Do you like them? Do you use them to buy for yourself or for others? Because that's the other thing that we didn't really mention is that they do come out at the time of the year where people are thinking about gifts for their humans in their life. Mm-hmm. Probably mostly humans. I don't really see people buying romances for their pets or plants or whatnot. So <laughs> mostly the humans. Mostly for the, the wildlife humans. outside. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as much as you and I might feel like uh, putting romances in your bird feeder is a successful option. I'm not sure that is exactly the way to go. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Before the show goes entirely off the rails, not even halfway through, uh, let me throw in another ad spot. Speaking of authors that we love, our next uh, ad spot is sponsored by If the Boot Fits by Rebecca Weatherspoon and from Kensington Books. Set on a black-owned luxury dude ranch and with a fairy tale twist, the second Cowboys of California romance by award-winning author Rebecca Weatherspoon absolutely sizzles. In this thoroughly modern take on the timeless tale of a struggling Cinderella who finds her Prince Charming at the 11th hour, an Oscar-winning actor and an aspiring screenwriter attempt to make a relationship work away from the Hollywood spotlight. This is a diverse romance. It is an own voices book. Most of the cast of characters is black. There is also size diversity because the heroine is plus sized. There's Hollywood. The hero is an Oscar winning actor and the heroine is an aspiring screenwriter who works as a personal assistant to a diva Hollywood actress. The book has been extremely well reviewed, garnering several starred reviews. This is the second book in Rebecca Weatherspoon's Cowboys of California series. And at this point, I am going to step away from our talking points because I read the first book in that series and we love Rebecca Weatherspoon on the show. Rebecca Weatherspoon has been on this show. Did I pre-order this book? Of course I did. Because why would I not? It's just like <laughs> a very good choice for everyone involved. I am super excited to read it. I think, like I said, I mean, there's really nothing that any either of us could or would be interested in saying bad about a Rebecca Weatherspoon book. So even though this one only came out two days ago, so we haven't read it. Well, maybe you have, Jess. I am halfway through it, thank you. Are you? you? Ah, I was going to say, man, you're always ahead of me. I read A Cowboy to Remember, which is the first book in the series, and loved it. And there are so many things about it that are great that I won't get back into because we've talked about them on the show before. Mm -hmm. But I am just waiting for the quiet weekend where I can sit and read If the Boot Fits. Do you have any feelings about it so far halfway through since you bragged? Oh, I am enjoying it so much. I I love both of the characters and the ambiance. And I got to tell you, this might not be a selling point for some of you who read digitally, but I actually really like the new size. And oh. we can talk more about that in another episode or on some other platform. But even though it's in the middle of the series, so your books won't match, I am really enjoying Mass Max paperback. So... That's another benefit to getting this book. You can find out yourself wow. how nice it is. <laughs> I mean, listen, I feel like there are, we've said many nice things about this book and about Rebecca Weatherspoon, and there are still, I'm sure, a thousand more to say, but uh, we will stop there and thank once again uh, Kensington and If the Boot Fits for sponsoring this episode. I am very ready to drop into another fairy tale inspired story set. At a dude ranch in California, frankly. Yes. That's all I want in my life. And I think, well, 
I don't know, because I haven't started it yet. I have no idea whether that book is a good transition into our next topic or not. Let's assume it is and then never speak of it again. (laughs) One of the things that we started talking a little bit about over the course of the last couple of weeks is that there are certain components and elements to romances that make them different and fun and interesting and really impact what the frame and, you know, shape of a story looks like. And so we thought maybe we'd start talking a little bit more about some of those. And because I know how Jess feels about a meet cute spoiler <laughs> alert, really good. We thought we would talk a little bit about main characters and how they meet in romance and why it matters. And as Jess found out immediately before we started recording, I actually created a little quiz to introduce this segment of When in Romance. <laughs> Are you ready, Jess? Are you feeling okay about being quizzed about meetings of characters in romance? Here's hoping I remember what books are. I mean, in fairness, I am 100% sure you've read two of these and 98% sure you've read the other. So, okay. I mean, also, you're the only one playing, so you get all the points no matter what. Hooray! All right. In our first book, we have a situation where post-ballet performance, Mm. a widower, who is also an NFL player seeks to meet the star of the ballet because his child is interested in meeting that ballet performer. The NFL player then invites the dancer to a barbecue, and after that they have a one-night stand that turns into a marriage of convenience. Jess Pride, what is that book? His Convenient Husband by Robin Covington. It is! 1,000 points to you! Great job. I like this game. Mm -hmm. I know, right? Yeah. Like I said, I think you're going to do really well. I feel like you're going to do really well. All right. There are only three questions. So number two. And number two is a historical romance. And historical Mm -hmm. romance? I never know. They both work. Thank you. (laughs) One main character inherits a castle. So she brings her ermine, 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 ferret, whatever, to claim her castle and potentially establish some independence from her father's legacy as a writer. But when she gets there, she meets a very alive, cranky, currently inhabiting the castle, blind duke, who is not super jazzed to hand over the castle in which he lives. Jess Pride, do you know that book? It's Romancing the Duke by Tessa Dare. Yes, it is. You're so good at this game. Uh. I'm not going to lie to you. That was the hardest one. So I feel like (laughs) you're about to cruise into 100% victory here. Oh, man. I just hit my notepad on my microphone. So my apologies to all of our listeners and to Jen, our wonderful sound editor. (laughs) Number three. All right. An academic bisexual witch has developed a charming rapport with a brooding security guard. When a fire alarm goes off, don't worry, it's a drill. The security (laughs) guard carries the professor out of the building and into a fake match made for social media. Jess Pride, what is that meeting and what is that book? That's the greatest. And it is Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. Yes, it is. Oh, you get all the points. I wish we had like an applause sound effect. I don't have that. Hooray. (laughs) You know, I figured I, I would put together a fun little game because those are three very different ways for two main characters to meet. In three Mm -hmm. very wonderful books that we've talked about before. And I think that's part of why we wanted to talk a little bit about what it means when main characters meet. Yes. I don't know. What kind of thoughts do you have, Jess? You know, I love a good meet cute. And and it doesn't have to be a cute. (laughs) Although I I particularly enjoy it when it's a cute. 
Although it can't be too awkward because then I'm just experiencing secondhand embarrassment for everybody involved. And yeah, we don't want that yeah, to happen. That's rough. Um, but I also love a good what we call meat disaster, you know, like Christina C. Jones's I Think I Might Love You, where she goes into her sister's apartment and thinks that the person there who is subletting is actually an intruder and she kicks him in a delicate place. <laughs> sure. Sure. Like meat disaster, right? Oh <laughs> it's yeah. Not a, it's not a cute. Mm-hmm. But it's not just sort of a slow, like suddenly they know each other. And I was thinking about the fact that there are some really great books where we don't actually know how the people who know each other met. And I was trying to get my head around whether the introduction to the characters interacting has to be a meeting. Because, like, sometimes they are aware of each other, especially in, like, enemies or rivals to lovers, where you you come on, you come upon the two as people who have, like, always sort of been, you know, contentious towards each other. But something brings them together, and that's the beginning of their relationship. However, that may develop. Well, I think friends to lovers is kind of the same, right? Yeah, totally. You know, I, I think actually Take a Hint Danny Brown is a great example of that. You don't mm-hmm. know how that relationship started exactly, but you know how it accelerated. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's just important to have sort of like that really, that really big moment where there's a, a crash or a clash or whatever is happening that brings them together for the situation that they're now in. And, you know, sometimes they just meet at a party. And that's cool, as long as they're having a really interesting conversation. Otherwise, why did you tell us about the meeting at this party and not two weeks later when they run into each other and talk about meeting each other at the party? You know, like, there's all kinds of things about, like, that introduction to the characters together. Because you're getting, you're learning about their chemistry and, like, sort of their their quirks or the things that's going to throw them together in whatever situation they end up in that develops their romance. So like that is the most important part of the book. And like, I think we've talked about before where there are books that are being touted as romances, but you get like a quarter of the way through the book and the two people haven't met. And it's like, this might end up being a great love story, but that is not a real romance. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point that the tra- trajectory is sort of set by how those characters meet in the way that it just isn't in other genres necessarily, right? Like it's such a huge part of a mm-hmm. romance because you know that what you're seeing when these two people connect or reconnect, you know, I was thinking a little bit about One Last Chance by Therese Bahari, which is two best friends who got married, walked away from each other, and then surprisingly end up at the same charity event and what that looks like and that reuniting. But either way, whenever that, I guess that meeting in the story, even if it's not the meeting in the lives of the characters happens, it just really puts that relationship on a certain path in the way that I think isn't always the case in other kinds of fiction. Yeah, that is absolutely it. The trajectory and like that moment that could be, you know, years into their relationship. We talked, you you mentioned friends to lovers and it's like, how do you build a meet cute in friends to lovers? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the one that came to mind for that was uh, my fake rake, because I, 
I happened to look at the cover of that book earlier today and think, well, they, we don't even get to experience their meet cute, but we kind of do because we get to experience their like cute propulsion in, mm-hmm. into relationship land. And it's so interesting to think that there are all of these amazing people who can come up with that kind of thing. <laughs> well, and I think you were talking a little bit before we started talking about the fact that the meeting isn't always in person, which is mm-hmm. a super interesting element of, you know, the 21st century. Yes. I mean, because you can have an introduction that could even end up being a meet cute that is completely online because we have internet dating now, or just the internet throwing people together who are not looking to be dating, but end up that way, or just end up in a very, very, very slow burn situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it is, it's a, again, it's one of those things we just don't think about or talk about that much. But at the end of the day, the way that a story starts plays a really huge role in how it continues. So any other general thoughts about the importances of main character meetings in romance before we start talking about a couple of our favorites? I just think it's really important to have that in a good romance, because a bad introduction, whether it's like, kind of boring, or just like, one that really sets you off against one of the two or more people can really, like, fallow a book for at least for me, because I'm so invested in how they meet. So (laughs) that's, it's just, it's really interesting to think about how how that one thing can be the keep going or put it down impetus for me as a reader. And I'm curious if other readers have that kind of experience. Do you have a put it down, Jess? Is there something that you will read in a book that will make you think like, nah, I'm out? You know, I didn't have as many put it down moments as I have this year, because let's be honest, there are certain things that I am absolutely not here for this year. And for some reason, even if I have heard a million amazing things about a book, especially if it is a book featuring a heterosexual couple or a man and a woman, if the introduction involves the man saying something off-putting to me, (laughs) I am immediately turned off and will set it down. Mm -hmm. And I am sort of annoyed with myself because people like people will say, oh no, it's amazing. And I'll be like, but I can't get past this dude. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'll try it again later. But it's just like, if they say something that is, you know, oddly sexist or a little like kind of aggressive, even if it's in a flirtatious way. It's just like, nope, bye. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I have anything that makes me put a book down. But there are I I, I just generally have a problem with enemies to lovers. Like it's just not for me. Like, it's mm. just hard for me to imagine. How are these people going to overcome this thing? And sometimes if I like a book or an author or a story enough, I'm I can roll with it like and and get into it. But other times I will read it. I'll be like, all right, I'm going to give this a try. And then at 40%, I'm like, I just, it's just not, this is not working for me. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so we would love to hear from all of you about how you feel about character meetings, what you like and what you don't. And I think we have a, a couple of recommendations for you. I need to give mine both in a row because I'm giving them 
because they are so opposite from each other, Jess. But if you want to start, I'm happy to to defer to you first. No, you go ahead and um, do yours. All right. Buckle up, everyone. (laughs) So the first one that I'm going to mention is a book that we have talked about before, and we've talked about, I'm sure, this year. And that's Zenny by Rebecca Weatherspoon. But the reason I'm talking about this one is because the meet-cute, as it were, happens at a funeral, wherein both main characters are actually super devastated by a loss. But what is great about this book, and and actually is a fairly common theme in Rebecca Weatherspoon's books, which, side note, I picked this book before I realized that one of her books was the advertiser of the show. So there's a disclaimer. Uh, But there's a classic attraction here that leads to what is actually a pretty straightforward romance between these two characters, although there is you know, a a dark moment that happens towards the end. But even that's not super dark and that they continue to like each other. Like these two people just like each other. And it in some ways could be boring. But in this case, it's not because the uh, characters and the plot are so engaging. And in some ways, that kind of story almost feels more relatable because a lot of our friends and loved ones, maybe even you as a human, if you are partnered up, That's kind of how it works for a lot of people, is that you just Mm -hmm. like each other and you navigate around everything else. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, they, again, they met at a funeral, which is a little complicated, but it it works. So that's Zenny by Rebecca Weatherspoon. On a different part of the spectrum, I guess I would say, is a book that we've talked about, but not for a while. And that's The Kiss Quotient by Helen Wong, which you may remember it was, um, that was a, a huge book in, I think, 2018. One of, you know, the best romances I've read in the last five years. It's an own voices book about Stella, uh, who has Asperger's as the author is is on the, the spectrum as well. And the meat cute, such as it is, is very complicated here because Stella has hired Michael, who is a male escort, basically to have sex with her because she feels like she's not good at it. Uh, she has been in a, I think what you could at least argue is at the very least an emotionally abusive relationship. And that is a very different sort of situation than just sort of meeting someone and having that natural attractiveness go. But the meeting and the circumstances of the meeting really drive the plot, which I think I really appreciated about this book, because it could have been the case that, you know, oh, it's a book about a main character who is on the autism spectrum. And that could have been the story, but it wasn't. And I think the sort of awkwardness of the meeting between these two people and the circumstances that brought them together is a much more interesting way to tell what is an incredibly charming story. So again, that's The Kiss Quotient by Helen Wong. What do you got, Jess? What's on your side? So this was a a really hard thing for me, as Trisha knows, but I think that I have two that are also so incredibly different Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you just have to experience that. Um, and the first is Strange Love by Anna Geary, which, ah, gosh, it might be one of the very few alien romances that I've picked up, although there are a lot on my list. But in this particular book, we have our alien who is heading to meet his mate. He's going to pick them up on a planet that is supposed to be sort of neutral ground for their species because they're not the same species and then take them back to his home world. But something has happened (laughs) and he lands 
on Earth. And he thinks that it's kind of like this abandoned world because it's an empty field and all of this. And there is a person making very strange, there, there is another being making very strange noises. We figure out that, um, she's screaming. Um, and he rescues that being, um, takes them on his ship. And uh, I think they've passed out by this point. And <laughs> so their initial meeting is not great. But when she wakes up and is like, what the heck? Why am I on a spaceship? Why is there, gi- there this giant thing in front of me? He is um, actually given them translation collars. And I keep saying them. I am speaking about not only the female protagonist of this book, but also her dog, who he is also taken. And he believes that she is his mate because he didn't know that he didn't land on the planet that he was expecting to. But they're they're already too far away from Earth to go back. And he's like, well, I guess you're my mate now. Or I guess you can, I can take you back eventually, but you can also come back to my planet and fight to be my mate because there are these like kind of Hunger Games style things for the, the potential mates of a certain class of his species. So <laughs> anyway... That was a really long description of what is actually not very much, but their meeting is so like, it's like we get to sort of see both perspectives. And it's just like, he's pretty certain that he's landed in the right place. He's met his mate and he's ready to take them back. And she's like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to roll with it. So I mean, I feel like abducted by aliens is an entire meeting scenario that we could unpack for quite some time absolutely but accidentally abducted by aliens is yes like how often do you get that one i mean i'm gonna be honest with you so far in my reading life never so i think you found a unique pick strange love by anakin <laughs> perfect and uh, then the other one trisha and i sort of talked about in generic terms earlier about the meet cute that isn't an actual in-person meeting. And I thought a really interesting way to that that's done is in Play It Again by Aiden Wayne. And in that one, um, David is an, a YouTube influencer. He's uh, blind and he goes and reviews places for their accessibility. And he comes across this very quiet YouTube page. Um, he likes listening to people play video games. And there's this Irish guy who just has the most amazing, soothing voice. And he like listens to all of his, his videos in a very brief amount of time. And he shouts him out in one of his videos. And suddenly the other person. Sam, his name is Sam. Uh, he um, suddenly has like all of these followers and he doesn't really know how to YouTube as like a YouTuber. He was just making these videos. So he DMs David to sort of thank him for the shout out and they start communicating over various lines of wire just as friends who check in or anything of that nature because one is very experienced and one is very much not. So that kind of meeting isn't very, you know, flashy. It's very quiet, but it's very much like 
okay, so these two people with these very different kind of personalities are suddenly hooked together. And where's that going to go? And I just think it's it's such a beautiful, quiet kind of meet-cute that isn't a meet-cute because they haven't really met. But they have. And they're getting to know each other and able to fall in love with each other from two sides of an ocean. So it's something that really draws you in because you want to know how how they're going to do this as people who don't live anywhere near each other. And once again, that is Play It Again by Aiden Wayne. I mean, long distance falling in love is, I think, a theme all of us can get behind here in 2020. So on board. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think we are pretty much out of time, but we would love to hear what different meetings, romance meeting, first of all, what, what style, what types you are into, but also if you have any favorite examples in the books that you are reading. I think Jess also mentioned earlier in the show that we are excited to hear from whether you are an author or a reader or whatever else you might be. Uh, send us a note at whenandromance.bookriot.com if you have any thoughts about, you know, end of year awards lists and whether they are helpful or or not as helpful. And of course, email us as well if you have uh, recommendation requests because we are recording that quite soon. So send those mm-hmm. notes our way. Anything to add, Jess? What do we have left? That's about it. If you have any other thoughts, you can also email us at oneinromance at bookriot.com or find us on the socials. I am at Jess's Reading on Twitter and Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram primarily uh, at Trisha Haley Brown. Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. And, uh, you know, who knows what the next couple of weeks hold, but we are, are grateful that you are spending this time today with us. Yes, we are. And if you are reading or even just thinking about reading, when you look at your books, be happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a twist on happy reading, but happy reading or looking at your books, everyone. <laughs> happy reading, everyone. <laughs>